The Big Dumb Ride, a podcast dedicated to the joys, miseries, and lessons left unlearned from your big dumb bike ride. So the the next person we we talked to, uh, Dan Henry, uh, was our, our kind of our lone, truly unintentional big dumb ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just glad Dan's alive. Yeah. He made it back to us. <laughs> he did. <laughs> lived lived yes. to tell the tale, and he did. He did on this very podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I've known Dan a while. Uh, Dan is just a a funny, delightful person, an absolute beast on the bicycle, great racer, fun to watch. He always makes the races more fun watching race grits. Um, I hadn't seen Dan in a while and we were catching up and he started kind of retelling this tale and it started because he was like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm waiting for, um, for, to get my cross bike shipped back to me from Washington state. I was like, well, what's it doing there? And he's like, well, it's, it's somewhere up in the wilderness, um, in a valley. At this point, I walked back to the bike, made a decision that the bike was going to live in the woods now. Um, All right, so Dan Henry, welcome to the Big Dumb Ride. Describe the ride and meaning you know tell us a bit about what you were doing the distance location elevation any other features that would help us understand uh what you did on this bike so i want to start with painting a picture of my body uh biochemically because i think that that's important (laughs) a lot of your listeners have been around me when i'm hungover so they're already familiar with this but I was sort of coming off of this like very weird week vacation situation where basically what ended up happening was went with my partner Marissa to Marfa for a week, but missed a flight out of Dallas to get to El Paso. So we drove, ended up driving from Dallas to Marfa and El Paso, and then up to Santa Fe, back down and dropped her off at the airport at El Paso after like a week. And then I drove to a bachelor party in Austin. So I already spent like a week and a half not sleeping in my own bed, doing a lot of driving, a lot of eating Texas food, uh, a lot of eating New Mexico food, get to this Austin bachelor party. And it is exactly the type of bachelor party that you would imagine happening in Austin. The type that like native Austonians, Austinites just hate. Um, It's like a Nashville bachelor party. And so I leave that Sunday afternoon to fly to Portland for my organization's annual like staff and board retreat um which was which was going to be in a which was in a really cool place it's in this place called stevenson which is about an hour up the columbia river on the washington side so like bonneville dam um like mount hood it's like right just straight north from mount hood so it's beautiful country and through all of this trip uh i drove my gravel bike I'm like, got to ride here and there uh, in Austin and El Paso and stuff, but really wanted to ride up in the Pacific Northwest around our like hotel cabin situation because I had heard that the riding was pretty good and the gravel was pretty good up there. Having gone through like a four day bender leading up to that, I was just like, I was in like the worst mental place. I was not forming sentences as well. Like I had not slept very well. Uh, it was just like one of those things where like, you know, you search for a through axle for like 20 minutes. Uh, find it was like in your hand. 
you know, we're going to persevere, right? I only have a couple of chances to get a really good ride in during this, uh, during this retreat. And so I set up all my stuff the night before at like 1130 to get up at like 530 to do this ride. Oh, wow. It was about, it was pretty chilly. I think it was like 38 or 40 degrees, but it was going to swing pretty big to like, like 55, 60 by midday. So I was like sort of dressed for it. It was like, like a knee warmer situation. And I knew I'd be climbing too. So um, I wasn't super bundled. Um, it was definitely pre-dawn. Uh, it was October. So yeah, it was pre-dawn and chilly, but dry. And uh, I was trying to make it to the summit of this climb by sunrise. That was the game plan. So I start this climb from our lodge in Stevenson um, and immediately start going up this logging road. And like, we have gravel out here, but it is, it's difficult to convey, like this was chunky gravel, like this was garbage. The way they, they do logging roads out there, like they exist and they are accessible by the public, but they are private roads. And so they are like beholden to the whims of the logging company and to like the occasional landslide and to just you know whatever right so they just sort of come and go there's very little rhyme or reason um they are occasionally not mapped they're occasionally not labeled um and they don't follow any of our like civilized rules for like gradient or like turn radius or you know camber or anything like that it's like if a truck can climb it then it's fine that counts as a road so I hit this road on like 38s and like immediately realized that this is going to be like a little dicey, but whatever, like keep on trucking. So, is it dark at this point, Dan, or has it like the sun risen yet? It is. Yeah, it's still dark here. Um, I did end up like achieving my goal. I, I got to the top by sunrise, but it was about an hour and 15 minute climb. Um <laughs> You had what I would like to probably refer to as a compound hangover. Uh, in other words, a hangover on top of a hangover on top of another hangover on top of a hangover. Yes. What made you want to get up before dawn to climb on your bike for an hour and a half? A nine o'clock start time for our meetings. So I was like, I'll sneak this in and then I will moonwalk through these meetings and then I up in the afternoon or something like that. Um, yeah, that was really the only available window. Um, otherwise, I would have gone in the afternoon when it was like 55 and gorgeous out. Right, why, why would you do that? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> this is relatable. This is a re it's a relatable impulse. Yeah, sure. No, I'm not being critical. Yeah, yeah. but also... Yeah. <laughs> name for it. I feel like we should have a name for it. It's, it's like that... Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> it, it is a com like any any cyclist who's done these rides could has this moment has this like seems fine this is a good idea i've thought through the other good options and this is like the least convenient or probably best option i'm going to pursue and this episode is brought to you by seems fine paving company <laughs> climate it's a road <laughs> mm -hmm. go on so you're climbing chunder in the dark <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I don't know. Um, so, so I'm chugging up this hill uh, of, you know, questionable safety for any vehicle that isn't a dump truck 
and I, I get up to just going through these like just gorgeous forests, man. Like stuff that we just don't have out here. Like we have really, really nice foliage out here, but like Pacific Northwest forests is just like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right. And so I'm just just riding through these like, you know, these verdant tunnels on my way up to the top of this, not really a mountain, like a like a hill, um, with a decent view. And get to the top and it's like, oh, there's the sun. Uh, this is sick. There's I, I look down over the river and over this like lake that is formed. I think it was a damned lake. And you know, like there's a bunch of moisture just hanging over them. And it's just this staggering view that's one of those views where like the light is low enough that you can't quite get it with a phone camera. So you're like, well, I'm just gonna sit here and look at this and take this in with my spirit and hopefully never forget it. So did that, you know, took the requisite five minutes standing there until I started to get cold. Uh, and then I continued riding. And I think this was when I violated maybe like rule number one, which is like when in doubt, turn it into an out and back. Because I was like bound and determined. I got to this intersection, one of these, what I realized are now just like classic logging road intersections that was just like gobbledygook. It was on the side of a mountain. So I like skidded down into it and nothing's marked and everything takes like, you know, four turns as soon as it leaves the intersection. Didn't really have like a good sense of direction as to where things were going. And the route that I had planned out definitely did not match up with any of the roads that I was looking at IRL. So I took one of the roads. I like climbed over a swinging gate, uh, like the ones that they have at like Rock Creek, climbed over that, hopped on the bike, started riding, and then started descending. Was your, Dan, were you thinking like, as you climbed the fence, <laughs> was there a thought that in that, you know, that like when we all kind of start going down a path, because like, it's probably the wrong way, and you have that creeping sensation of, hmm. I wonder what this fence is here for. Yeah. Or, or was your goal like, I just need to get down the mountain, so down is good? So at this point, I had a fair amount of time before I needed to be back. And I was thinking, I have a fair amount of time before I need to get back. So I'm going to go a little bit farther, and I'm pretty sure, uh, based on this line on my Wahoo, that I can find it and turn this into a loop. Yeah. Then I, like, start descending, and that's one of those things where, like, it, it was, like, a pretty hairy, like, where it once was shitty gravel, now it was, like, shitty double track. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so it was like, I didn't really, like, I didn't have time to pull a phone out and was like kind of looking down, but like computer was shaking all over and the screen's too small anyway to like, to get like the proper resolution. So I just, you know, continued descending until I got to a crossroads uh, <laughs> and was like, huh. <laughs> and it goes to the line that's drawn on my computer. Um, and during this whole time, I have like half a bar of service. So. If I like hang for a second, I can I can like kind of get a map. I also made the mistake of like not downloading, you know, the entire map of roads in the state, which is like a mistake that I have never made since. So just to back up for a second, because we're getting kind of hints at the things you brought with you. But what did you 
like going into this ride, you knew it was going to be cool temps. Like, what did you actually do to prepare for this ride? Or was it kind of just like, this is it? I got this. It's <laughs> a great question. The answer is very little. Yeah, I think I brought, I think I brought literally maximum, I brought two cliff bars that I bought at the airport and two water bottles definitely two water bottles i can't remember if it was one or two cliff bars because i figured like this is like this is going to be a two and a half hour ride i i'll just like i'll bang it out i'm not going to ride tomorrow because i'll be flying you know i don't need like nutrition is not a big deal here i'm not trying to set you know any world records so I just, also when you travel with a bike like it's hard to find food sometimes I, it, it's not impossible but like it's one of the things that I've learned from doing a lot of business travel with my bike is that often my nutrition is just trash. Yeah, because you're kind of sailing through airports and... Right, and like foraging. Choreographed nutrition plan. <laughs> you start getting experimental. Well, this isn't true for Andy. Andy eats like whatever, but... <laughs> Andy would actually be fine in, I think, any circumstance nutritionally because he has the most adaptive system I've ever encountered. but. That's a future. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely no, been no points over the course of the last couple of months, Sarah, where you've been like standing over me while I've been lying on the sidewalk, <laughs> staring in the sky. That's definitely not happened recently. <laughs> I've just seen Andy be like, "Oh, look, frozen pizza. That's three weeks old. This will do. This this will be good. This will fuel me." No. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, yeah. Carefully crafted nutrition plans. They do matter, and if you're not accustomed to like putting things in your body and then you go do these rides it can be kind of a disaster for sure yeah and and there is something to be said for like an adapted stomach that can survive on like taquitos because <laughs> like you know west virginia rides right right we've all done them but we recognize also that coming into this story coming into this ride you were you you may have done some internal damage i might i might like a lower <laughs> i was i was adult <laughs> okay um yeah, so I brought like two cliff bars. Um, oops. And uh, so basically, I, I descended, this, descended this, this shitty piece of double track. And looking at the Strava file, the line is, it's, it's basically an out and back, because I finally just owned up to like doing an out and back. It's like this, this loop is never going to appear. I'm never going to find this road. So I hit that, but I, I waited until like 15 minutes after what would have been okay at like a gradual pace backward. And that's what really got me into trouble was that like I, I was like in a rush to get back. So I turn around and I start climbing back out of this. And I'm listening to music and have my phone on and I'm checking that periodically. What I'm not checking is like my just rapidly dying battery. Of your phone. Yes. It, yeah, it turns out that when you're, you know, when you're stuck in this place with like half a bar of service, your phone is just like gutting it out, trying to find a tower, and it just nukes your phone battery. So I'm doing that because I have like Google Maps on and active. And I get to this crossroads, and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm running behind. I could either go back like the way I came, or I could consult Google Maps and take this road down this alternate route so google maps was like ah you know man you can uh i could save you 10 minutes here so i'm like okay cool 
Let's do it. The old devil. <laughs> the old devil. Um, that was mistake number two. Uh, in order of importance, that was mistake number one uh, by just a country mile. So I followed Google Maps down a gravel road, which turned into like the sort of switchbacks you see underneath power lines in mountains and then that dumped off onto like what kind of looked like an ohv trail there were definitely like you know indentations in the ground from tire treads from jeeps or something like a side by side but it was really gnarly um and it was really overgrown and so i chalked the, the overgrownness up to being in like basically the jungle of Pacific Northwest and figured, you know what, this will probably get better. Had you realized that you'd made a mistake at this point, or are you still pretty confident? I was pretty confident, but I was about like 10 minutes from being not confident. Well, walk us through that 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out there's a bunch of like tiny bones in your wrist. And I have one that like still hurts to this day from that descent. There are in in those woods to support the logging operations back in like the like 1900s up through like you know the 50s 60s 70s they had like little like miniature sets of train tracks and there's a name for them and i can't remember what it is but and it was basically just like a cable car running on tracks that would drag cut wood up the mountain to a road where it would then be trucked down or you know, cut up there, whatever. But basically getting them off of the face of the mountain was the job of these little carts on these tracks. And so a couple of times I, I ran over this cable on the ground that was probably like, I don't know, it was like a one or a one and a half inch diameter. Um, and it was like half buried. I was like, okay, so there was like some real infrastructure here at one point. Um, so this has gotta be going somewhere, right? whatever happened like erosion wise turned it basically into like like little moguls it was just like these like weird lumps along where they had removed the railroad ties and so it was like i think it was like a mile and a half of just these lumps that just, sounds terrible to ride a bike on it was it was really really horrendous i maybe you could do it on like it's it would maybe be i don't know it wouldn't be enjoyable on anything like you could do it on an enduro bike i suppose but like even like an xc bike you'd be like this kind of sucks what are we doing and this is steven's pass area right like out in washington yes is that i mean this is where they had this this is massive uh, avalanche years ago. Wasn't it was kind of like took the whole face of the mountain off and anyway, this really pretty crazy terrain, Dan. I mean it's it's, it's like, yeah. It's no joke. It, yeah, it's it's extremely no joke. Yeah, it's actually um you've got like a lot of volcanic rock mm -hmm. that is really dry and super loose. And it drains really quickly, but 
it also has this like uncanny ability to shear. And so, yes, it's like super common to get like just the side of a mountain shearing off at some point. So here you are. On the side of the mountain. On the side of the mountain, hungover with two cliff bars and a dying phone, battery. Yeah. And Google Maps being like, this is fine. <laughs> this is all, this is just, don't worry about it, but just. And what time is it at this point? Are you, what are you like a, a couple hours from meeting time? Yeah. So now it's like, I think it's like eight. And the meeting's at nine. And I'm thinking like, I can, I can still shower here. Right? This is fine. I can like, I can roll in clean. I'll be hungry, but whatever. And it turns out that I'm descending into having said all this about like the soil and how rocky it is and stuff like that. It's also important to remember that like the level parts that haven't sheared off are super lush and that there are inside a lot of these, like there are a bunch of basins where at some point in history, like the top of a mountain either fell off or blew up or something. And they're just like super lush and there's a ton of underbrush and a ton of moss. And that's what I'm descending down into is this thing called Greenleaf Basin. So all of these little moguls that I'm riding over are covered in moss and grass. So they're kind of slick. It's like actually kind of dark down there because there's so much uh, canopy cover and it's super still, it's super quiet. Oh, and yeah. Out, yeah. It's into there. About 10 minutes into that descent, I'm like, this is a mistake. This is, this is not gonna get better. <laughs> Uh, as you're as you're telling this story, Dan, I'm I'm googling Greenleaf Basin and just looking. If if you're listening to this right now, you should do the same. Um, it will illustrate really what you're talking about, which is it looks like someone's bombed the side of a mountain out, and then at the bottom of this sort of like granite, crumbly bit sides of these cliffs is just like grassy trampoline. <laughs> oh, <laughs> crazy. And it's it's staggering. So um, it's yeah, it's really beautiful. I mean, it it would have been a really enjoyable ride. On, I mean, it would have been an enjoyable hike after I set my bike down at the top. <laughs> just like walking to poke around there, but I'm like just cannonballing down this, just like shaking my feelings loose, and finally it levels out, and whatever semblance of trail there was just disappears. It just like opens up into this basin. Um, and there are, there's hills like all around me. Um, these huge, huge old growth trees, like, you know, like four foot in diameter. There's this really, really thick layer of underbrush that's like, the only thing I can compare it to is like, if you're post holing through snow, it was like post holing through a bunch of twigs, oh, <laughs> which is like not ideal in mountain bike shoes. <laughs> so what, at, at this point, did you kind of accept like, I'm not going to make the nine o'clock? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now, and are you transitioning your brain from, I'm not going to make the nine o'clock to, uh, I got to find my way out of this basin somehow. Yeah. So that lasted probably about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, where I was just like, man, fuck. You got to be kidding me. I set my bike down, started walking, started walking up the hill to get a view. And 
Uh, actually, there's a really good picture of it on the Wikipedia entry for Greenleaf Peak. There's this aerial view of the south face of Greenleaf Peak. Oh, yeah. So I get to the top of this hill. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. How the hell, Dan? I mean, uh, like, I got, I, you know, I know this happened. We've all been here. We've all, like, just... You know, you get into like, I gotta solve the problem and get myself home or get myself out of this mode, and you start just like going down paths. But like, at what point were you just like truly fuck? Was it at this point in the ride, or did you have that kind of creeping sensation of the back of your neck, like as the minutes went by, that you were actually getting into trouble? So, okay. Um... So it's cool that this is like that I ended up lost in a area of geographic significance because like a lot of work has been done about the geology and the biology of Greenleaf Basin because it's so unique in that it's like you know in the midst of in the midst of all this like volcanic rock area so there's apparently a lot of like important flora and fauna in there and there's also a bunch of like stories of the history of the basin um also search and rescue knew exactly where i was oh god spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) we're like then what happened Uh (laughs) um there's still quite a bit of story between between this and that go on (laughs) um so yeah so that was like when i looked out over the edge and looked down um that face is like a thousand vertical feet or something like that. That was like a fuck you got, uh. but I was still like kind of just frustrated and not <laughs> quite overwhelmed yet. You hadn't fully accepted your fate yet. I hadn't. No, <laughs> it was when I got back down to my bike and tried to slack one of my coworkers that I realized I was at 20% battery. And then I was like, Oh God, Oh, this is a problem. (laughs) I think I managed to get off a Slack message to one of my coworkers who's like my age and like familiar with hangovers and familiar with like a little being a little, you know, unhinged on this stuff. He gets in over his head a a fair amount of times. Uh, He got real sick in Cambodia on like alligator meat the last vacation he took. So he's like, yeah, no, this is cool. I knew that he wouldn't freak out, which was important. I slacked him. I was like, hey, man, probably going to be pretty late for the day's meetings. Like, go ahead. Don't wait for me. Also, like, I might be lost. Maybe. And he's like, what do you mean might be? I was like, well, don't call 911, which became its own joke. My organization represents 911 call takers and dispatchers. uh, And all of our board that was there uh, all work in 911. So that comes into play later. Um, but I was like, don't call 911. It's like not that huge of a deal yet. Um, there's a stream here. I'm going to try and follow the water down. Because usually, you know, that's the most, you know, the least crazy way down. It turns out that this particular part of the United States is like the most waterfall dense part of our entire continent. But I found one of those waterfalls. And it really started to feel like homeward bound. If you were one of the pets from Homeward Bound, which one would you be and why? <laughs> Damn. Um, definitely 
definitely chance but like getting closer and closer to shadow every day like aren't we all man yeah right <laughs> i fell off my mountain bike this week this weekend I fell under there. Like, i don't know if i'm gonna make it guys so you you decide you tell your coworker you're like i might be lost don't call 911 the association i work for and i'm gonna follow the water down the mountain except that the entire mountain's covered in waterfalls and so you just kind of picked one and started making your way down yeah so there's this nice little stream in the middle of this basin running into and out of it and so i start following that and i eventually get to the edge of the basin and it's like a it's like a cascading waterfall it's sort of like um like the stuff you see out like like the old rag type hikes yeah um you know this isn't like a there isn't a huge amount of water happening here um so it's something that you can kind of you can kind of pick your way down did you um, have a bike with you at this point i didn't and i think it was at this point at this point i walked back to the bike made a decision that the bike was going to live in the woods now and then so you really at this point you knew it was like you were the bike and you need to get out of the woods yeah and i think i left it there this was actually actually getting back to the bike from the that was probably the 10 minutes when the panic set in Oof. was like slacking brandon and then going and seeing the waterfall looking like around the bend and seeing just like sheer face um and really no way to escape other than like hoofing it back up the trail which was viable but in my like panic state it was just like not even something that i considered so i walked back to the bike and was like okay i'm gonna put it on top of a log i'm gonna pull the bottles and pull the wahoo and start walking so i go back to the waterfall and decide that i'm gonna try and pick my way down this waterfall i like went this is when i discovered how like weird and loose and like sheery the rocks are and you're in bike shoes <laughs> yeah in bike shoes yeah <laughs> um, and I just like straight up like slid down the side of this waterfall for like, I don't know, like 20 feet, like a, like a, you know, shitty, uh, glissade, um, got hit with the rock, like chasing me down, uh, on my helmet. So I guess it was good that I still had that on and then stopped and took a breather and thought, you know, a lot of people die, like 50 feet from a trailhead doing shit like this. So let's just, let's, let's slow down, let's calm down, let's breathe. And then <laughs> I get a phone call on my Apple Watch. And it's my law school asking if I want to donate money. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Did you answer? Were you like, hello? <laughs> but it was a 303 number, and I was like, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. 
thank you for reminding me that my watch can make phone calls without a phone attached to it. Oh. Yeah, so then I trying to think how I established, I ended up doing a lot of texting from my watch, which is exactly the pain in the ass that you'd expect it to be. Like you have to draw with your finger. <laughs> Butters. Like a more awkward, tiny Blackberry on your wrist. <laughs> it really is. It's, <laughs> the future is now, folks. <laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up texting someone on the board. I think it was my boss. I think it was the CEO, because I knew he had an iPhone. Because my, my coworker has an Android, and I could only iMessage from the watch. So texted CEO. The CEO apparently had a conversation with the board members. He was like, okay, so we think Dan's lost in the woods. And, like, immediately, two of the board members were like, we'll go find him. <laughs> Tell us who you work for again. Are you allowed to say that on this, on this podcast? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a, a nice plug for your uh, your organization here. I guess so. So I work for, for Nina, uh, which is the National Emergency Number Association. Um, <laughs> we have 16,500 members who work in 911 centers across the country. And our, our mission is a public made safer by uh, state-of-the-art, highly trained 911 technology and professionals, respectively. <laughs> um, uh, so, well, like, that makes, like, the whole board being like, all right, leaping into action makes like, more sense now. <laughs> our board is not, like, highfalutin, you know, like, career board members, right? Like, these guys are 911 center directors. Um, they're, like, state administrators, stuff like that. So, Charlie Cullen... Um, and Jameson PV House, Jameson's from Tennessee, Charlie's from uh, Palo Alto. We're immediately like, hell yeah, let's do this. Um, let's, let's go find this kid. Um, which, to be fair, like, sounded way more fun. Sounds way more fun to me than like strategic planning for a day. <laughs> yeah, maybe you were like the gift the board was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> the, the excuse to adjourn. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely gave those guys an excuse to sneak out. Uh, and I think they'd tell you that, too. <laughs> so I get, a, I get a text from Charlie, um, and he's like, we're, we're coming to find you. He's like, can you get your location? And that was, like, the hardest part. I had an app on my watch that would tell me my location, like, the raw lat long. But... I had to like, like I couldn't have two apps open at the same time. So I had to like try and remember the like, you know, five decimal points of my lat long and then elevation and like get that, convey that to them via text. But that actually worked really well, surprisingly well. And my buddy who works at Apple was like, can you like write, can you write this up for us? Cause this is. <laughs> can you leave a review? Yeah. <laughs> Saved life, five stars. Yeah, <laughs> would, would buy again, for sure. Um, I actually, like, I now, more often than not, go mountain biking with the watch just because, and I don't want to turn this into a product endorsement, but, like, there are a ton of people for whom the crash detection or the fall detection on the Apple Watch saves them on, like, solo crashes. Huh, I did not, I did not know that. Yeah, it apparently goes off occasionally when it shouldn't. 
because you know mountain biking right but uh yeah so they're they're actually like it's a big use case for them is like solo mountain bikers so i am at this point sitting like in the middle of this waterfall basically i'm like halfway up halfway down it's like it's finally gotten up to like 55 56 degrees so it's nice in the sun but it's a little bit chilly and there's like a very slight breeze so i find this rock and i'm just kind of like sitting there staying warm because i just have like a vest and arm warmers on and knee warmers but like i'm not too bundled up and i'm like super super fucked if i don't get back before sundown which is at like five so i end up sitting there right now dan like this is i'm thinking well beyond that the 9 a.m it's what time is it at this point in the ride so at this point it is i want to say this was like three hours in three or four I, i think this is like right about at nine yeah yeah right about at nine so i've got like a water bottle and a half and I think I still have like a half a cliff bar left. I'm thinking that like I can, you know, the food is definitely not the issue, but definitely should be like rationing water because I don't know how long it's going to take them to get up here. Um, I was anticipating it would take them like three hours, probably. So I just got kind of comfy. I took a nap on the rock, which was nice. And then at one point, I texted my partner to be like, hey, I'm on the side of a mountain. I don't think I'm in any danger, but just in case, love you. Uh, I'll call you tonight. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I sure you loved hearing that. <laughs> yeah. I just, <laughs> <laughs> don't be alarmed. Just want to reassure you. Don't be alarmed. I yeah. may not be in imminent danger. I love you, LOL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> God. Yeah, so I, like, you know, I sent her that text message, the like, you know, ground control to Major Tom text message. <laughs> and then, God, I don't know what happened between whatever, like 9 and like 3.30. But at like 3.30, I ran out of water. And then I started to like get in my head a little bit. Like... Um, up until that point, I had sort of been like, you know, like, look, don't panic. You panic, you'll die. So just like, you know, take it easy. It's a nice day. Like, you have people coming for you. They're bound to find you because they have your actual location. But then when I ran out of water, I was like, mm, this really sucks. Um, I could like, you know, I don't know. I got whatever, 18 hours or something like that, you know. So that's when I started climbing down farther. I still had my Wahoo. And it had that, you know, like, very rudimentary map situation. Yeah. And I could see a little line, like, 100 meters south of where I was. I was like, you know what, let's just go 100 meters. Let's see what happens. So I did that, and it took me, like, a half an hour to get 100 meters. And I get down there, and then I start just sort of, like, yelling every 45 seconds, just, like, hooting into the woods to see if anybody's coming. Was this on a road or something, or...? It's like a, it was, it was like a really, it was at one point a hiking trail, I'm sure. Okay. But it had been like overgrown and eroded out, but there was some semblance of trail there. 
So I just like start a new activity on the Wahoo and start walking and start sort of like, uh, and continue hooting into the void. And I probably walked for about 45 minutes until I popped out onto this gravel road. And I walked on that gravel road for like 10 or 15 minutes and then heard an ATV. Like, you know, a minute later, he pulled around the corner and he was like, hey, are you the biker? (laughs) (laughs) I am, sir. (laughs) How could you tell? So he, uh, yeah, he gave me a bottle of water. Uh, He was like, where's your bike? (laughs) Don't ask that question. It's too, it's too soon, sir. (laughs) And then he took me back. It, It turned out what had taken them so long was that they couldn't get access to the roads where I was, where I was. There was like a pretty, there was like a decent access road to where I was coming from the South, but it was private, like a, like a portion of it was privately owned. And the owner of the land had apparently experienced a lot of trespassing in the last like 20 years. So he had built this like basically impassable gate, even, even for like quads and for like skilled quad riders to get around it. And they didn't have keys because this fucking guy was like six hours out of town. So they had to take like a three hour detour. Um, this guy on the ATV did. The guy on the ATV. It turns out that he was from um, Skamania Volunteer Search and Rescue. And when my, the board members, uh, my guys couldn't get like vehicle access to where I was. And they knew that they were like, that they were like a three or a four hour hike from where I was they elevated the situation to the experts who thank god used an atv instead of like a helicopter because that would have been truly embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) truly expensive because that's what matters dan (laughs) saving face and it is like the like i don't know what this what causes this but it's there's definitely i'm certain that there are just a countless number of 911 calls that are never made every year because people are like, I don't want to be a bother. Yeah, I think that's true. And then they die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why people don't go to the doctor, in addition to the cost, I think they're just like, well, my brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was like, I've never been more my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really glad that you were plucked from the mountainside um, and that, you know, you work for an organization with, board members who would know what to do because I'm, I'm not sure what my company would have done honestly <laughs> um maybe you but, have an ultralight backpack or something yeah <laughs> uh so like two more questions about this ride specifically okay um taken together all things you've had you've had now what is like it's almost a year to reflect Mm-hmm. choice uh if you had a time machine what's the one thing you would have done differently to prepare for this ride brought a bigger bike um, <laughs> uh I, I think route planning is huge and the word road is like a pretty universally understood term the word gravel road is not like there are so many different types of gravel roads and when you are planning a gravel route especially outside of like virginia or west virginia yeah and even in west virginia right like the rough prestige yeah. route yeah right like you really got to know the character of that gravel changes road to road we were just in west virginia over the weekend and yeah the same thing 
what this is single track <laughs> that's a boulder <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really important yeah so i think that like if i could do it again i would be a lot smarter about route planning doing more research asking people about it yeah i mean i think that there's really there's really no substitute for local knowledge did you sustain any injuries physical no <laughs> oh I was, I was a little weird for a second yeah um it was weird it was like you um i don't know like stupid stuff like uh like playing like metal gear solid right when you're in like a forest level and you're like wow i'm not lost right now weird i could be though <laughs> like i don't it was yeah it was like a very um it's like a it was a psychological trigger to like be in like deep woods even like imaginary deep woods for a little bit afterward wow yeah yeah because we all kind of i feel like we grew up around stories of being lost or you know being in the woods and having to be rescued and like that, that's such a part of like storytelling and suddenly you're you're the person you're the character in the story it's kind of it, pretty weird it, it is it is the weirdest thing to be <laughs> lost and to know you're lost <laughs> I, I think a lot of people get half lost yeah yeah but to be fully lost was like a rare <laughs> rare occasion and it's funny because so many of us get on bikes and do these big rides like kind of in an effort to disconnect and get away and get a little bit lost but there's a fine line between uh, <laughs> choreographed escape and like really being out of your element and, and deep in it yeah um, i mean i think you're, you're you're probably our first guest to get uh, a ptsd from their big dumb ride uh, <laughs> and, uh, and alex lost both his big toenails on his so congrats <laughs> oh <laughs> i mean he's got me beat on uh on, on physical injuries. Uh, that would have given me a mental injury too, I think. <laughs> well, like on the subject of mental feelings, uh, we're gonna talk really briefly about bike feelings and then we're gonna go to our rapid fire round because I think this could be funny. Okay. Um, so tell us more about your relationship to cycling. And I think we've, we've been asking a lot of our guests this question right now because of the way that COVID has kind of pretty dramatically disrupted a lot of the structure around cycling that we're used to, like the racing season or the cross season or, you know, organized rides or even just like fun, you know, group rides that that is on hold in general. Man, um, the pandemic has like been huge for this. I didn't really realize how much I enjoyed just riding alone and just like sticking in headphones and having some alone time. The election season has just been insane psychologically so it's really cool to like physically not be able to pick up my phone and to like you know just limit your inputs right force disconnect yeah yeah it's it's been a real gift for that and i think that that's sort of an eye-opening to know that that's like a tool but I, but I felt like, and I felt like up until the pandemic happened, right, this flywheel had spun up and it had just spun up and it was spinning so, so, so fast with like everything in terms of just like interaction with people and stimulation and like fucking road cycling hype beast culture, like, yeah. and just it, the pandemic just like slammed the brakes on that and really stripped away a lot of the bullshit. 
And for that, I'm really appreciative of that like opportunity to learn. I'm not saying that I would ever do the pandemic again. And I'm not saying that I don't enjoy like riding with my friends and, you know, racing and all that stuff. But man, it's, it hasn't been 100% all terrible this past summer. Yeah, it really has kind of distilled back down to the elements of why you get on a bike in the first place. Yeah. All right. Uh, big dumb questions, rapid fire. Uh, you ready? Yes. What's your favorite bike? That I own or just generally? Either. Man, I really, uh, I, I can't get away from this LA Sprint. Um, it is such a, like a twitchy, lively warhorse. And probably the reason that I don't like my current gravel bike that I'm trying to sell, um, because the gravel bike isn't twitchy and lively enough. I don't know. I just really love being connected to that bike. And I don't ride far enough regularly that it's like fused my discs yet. So it's like the perfect bike for me. What's the worst bike you've ever owned? The worst bike I've ever owned. It's not around, so I can say this. The first real road bike. Actually, I take that back. I had a Mongoose BMX bike when I was 12 years old that weighed more probably than my stump jumper does now. Um, that thing was just absolute trash. But it was like my, my mom bought it for me. It was like a $75 bike. And it was basically like I had to prove to her that I was going to ride that bike before she bought me like a real BMX bike. Um, she did that, and then I promptly broke my foot on that BMX bike. <laughs> the mongoose was the worst. <laughs> What's your favorite bike world personality? Damn. Um, okay, outside of DC, Chris Hildreth, window liquor, blue collar hero. 390 watt FTP, man of the people. Um, his online presence is hilarious. And he's a hell of a guy to race with. And in DC, we're gonna get you in trouble now. You are gonna get in trouble now. Um, man. This might be too loaded a question. There's just, you know. That's so, that's so tough. You can take the diplomatic route and be like, everyone's great. <laughs> I mean, you know, I. Uh, I always, I've never had a bad ride with Nate Graham. Um, you know, the myth, the legend, but like we, we seem to talk shit on the same wavelength. And he's been my like quarantine riding buddy. Although he's going to have to, he might have to retire soon with, uh, with the additional member of his family. I mean, I'm not going to like, <laughs> I'm not going to not let him ride with me anymore. You hear that, Nate? <laughs> That's your call out. <laughs> Nate also um, is a really great uh, cyclocross race announcer back when that was a thing. Yeah. He's pretty great at it. He actually was announcing, I think, last week for something online. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Got to keep the pipes polished, I guess. That's right. <laughs> Fine tuned. But yeah. Yeah. Love riding with Nate. Uh, although, you know, there's, there's a million people in a very close second place. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, keeping your pipes polished. Uh, what's the strangest thing you've ever eaten mid-ride? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 7-Eleven wings, probably. Or, like, convenience store wings. Um, 
I'm not ready for taquitos or roller dogs yet. But uh <laughs> Andy's just nodding. Like, yeah. I get it, you know. Okay. <laughs> as as I age, I find myself uh pining for more savory foods mm. from my gas stations. Which when you do that, like you get in you get into some weird stuff. Yeah. I mean salt, right? Electrolytes is what plants crave. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, the worst clothing choice you've ever made for a ride? Oh, damn. Triathlon clothes. <laughs> oh, yeah, good answer. Move on. Um, most seems fine mechanical repair or hack that you've had to do on your bike while riding. So I lost at one point earlier this summer. I changed brake pads or something, cleaned, did deep cleaning. Um, that recessed nut that holds the front brake caliper on, that thing's off at like river and piney meeting house so i velcroed i had like a velcro strap from something and i just velcroed it to my handlebars and rode home oh yeah that seems fine, <laughs> that seems fine. <laughs> um what is the one thing you'd bring with you on any big dumb ride i don't know what that says about my personality or my habits um but i just do not trust the co2 i mean i do but like i'm gonna bring a hand pump anyway because i know that the day that i use a co2 i'm gonna burn through like three of them yeah I yeah i'm that asshole the frame pump on the road bike so <laughs> they made one for the la i would be there in a heartbeat man it's there's just i don't know it's just so much more peace of mind yeah i've never seen a co2 actually successfully executed i don't think ever and it's in tears <laughs> all right so one more question. Okay. You left the bike out in the woods. Yes. What happened with the bike? I got a guy to grab it. No shit. Yeah. Uh, it called, um, I think it was Hood River Bikes. Um, I was like, hey, I got a weird problem for you guys. <laughs> I left this bike out here. I, I hit the lap button. <laughs> when I dropped the bike. So I was like, I have a lot long for you guys. You got anybody who has a Jeep and who likes hiking or you have any geocaching enthusiasts on your staff? And they were like, oh yeah, we got a dude who will do that. Here's his phone number, give him a call. So I gave that guy a call, made the same pitch. Uh, he called me back and went and got it the following weekend. Wow. Yeah. So it was a super smooth, like he just took the Jeep to the, uh, to the like uh, OHV trailhead, walked down there with his girlfriend, pulled it out, brought it back. Only damage to the bike was a slash sidewall. That's incredible. Yeah, it was not. <laughs> you got it back. <laughs> that was a good day. You still own the bike? I do, um, although it's, it's on the block right now. It's a great bike but it is not quite for me. Um, and I would rather sell it than sell my 10-year-old uh, beaten down, ridden to shit uh, Euro cross bike. If anybody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> Has never killed anyone. <laughs> never, no one's ever died on this bike. <laughs> Amazing.
Well, Dan, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on our dumb podcast and sharing your story. <laughs> yes. we're, we're glad you're alive. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I'm glad you're alive too. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. You know, we're working on it. Yeah.